Welcome to The Fruit of Passion. I'm your host, Alejandro, also known as Hanoma, online. Today I'm speaking with Michael Worth. Michael is an artist from Ohio who favors painting as his main artistic pursuit, but he's also done photography, music, and writing. We had a very long conversation where we covered topics such as what defines art, why the word art seems to be associated with painters and not other artists, abstract painting versus realism, performance artists, the different measures for success as an artist, what does it take to make it to a museum or a gallery, studying in a college versus doing apprenticeship with a master, knowing how to sell and promote your art, and the role of copying in the creative process. So I know this is a long one, but it was very interesting for us, and I hope it's also very interesting for you. So now I give you Michael Worth. I'm here with Michael Worth. Michael, welcome to my podcast. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. So my reason for inviting you here is uh, you also have a podcast. Um, yes called All Walks of Art, That's which correct. I'm guessing is a play on the, the, what's the phrase, All Walks of Life or something? Yes, yes. So you are a person who considers yourself an artist, right? Yes. And my first question to you, because this is something that I, uh, I'm pretty sure we'll go into details deeply here. How do you define art and where do you fit in that spectrum? What's your trait that makes you an artist? That's a great question. I tell you, I, I could probably talk for hours on this one alone, but um, not That's to bore. Fine. I don't want to bore your listeners. To, to record a few hours, <laughs> right? Um, to define art for me, it's it's really about creativity. It's about being a creative, and I get asked this question quite a bit, actually, which is kind of bizarre to me. But you know, for me, it's about making stuff. You know, and and, and I hate to use the word stuff because it's not really a direct word, but, you know, I like to paint, I like to write, I like to make video. I like just, just making things because I think that's what makes the world beautiful. We've, if everything was just go to work and I don't know, run numbers all day, we wouldn't, you know, it just wouldn't be cool. I, I think making things is, is really where it's at for me. So that's, that's okay. art. How specific can you be in the kinds of things that where's the limit? Let's say, if there's any kind of line, even if it's a blurry line, but where's the limit where you would say this guy is, is putting a brick over each other and he's making a house, so he's making stuff, but it's not the same as the guy painting sure, or sure. the guy writing yeah. a book. Yeah, I, I think I think at some level, like like I make I make trucks for a living. That's that's what I do every day. That's my making ends meet, so to speak. Um, I can put creative creativity into that job, but I don't put art into that job. So to define that, I guess, uh, and, and to really narrow this down, it becomes a question of why are you making it versus what it is. And a lot of times when I make art, it's, um, a, a place I like to be, or it's a thing, uh, like it might be a still life of something that I want to do. Um, to answer your question on that, though, I, I think even the bricklayer has the opportunity to be an artist in the way they lay the bricks. Um, this is tough. This is a tough one. I, I think, wow, 
I think it becomes one of those situations where, you know, is it aesthetically pleasing? Are you looking for that? Or are you just looking to get like, uh, anybody can throw up a house, right? And it becomes not me a place to live. Well, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's a place to live. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I do yeah. Or you can, you know, you can make the house pretty or look good or, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find the right words here, but I, th- I think an artist wants to make things that leave a legacy. I think that's really the, the end result. I think we all, as artists, I think we want to leave a legacy of what we've done. And, um, I would love to, you know, I, I would, I would love to know that my art may hang in a gallery one day, you know, next to Rembrandt or Vermeer, or any of these, these artists that are just, you know, fantastic to me. So to, to go back to that question, you, where you fit in that spectrum, you, you're a painter. Yes. Are you also some, something, I think you're a musician. I am a musician. I, and, and I guess I could qualify this too. This, this is actually a good, Writer. good way. Yeah. This is a good way to, to put this in there. I think my writing, my photography, I've done all these things professionally. Um, but I think at the end of the day, I'm a, I'm a traditional fine artist. You know, I like to paint, I like to draw, uh, charcoal, graphite, uh, watercolor oil is my, my primary painting medium. Um, but my photography and my writing kind of supports it as content. And the direction I want to go with me as a creative is I want my photography and my, my writing to actually support me as a fine artist, if that makes Mm -hmm. any sense. So I don't, I don't really, I don't look for jobs anymore as a photographer. Um, in fact, I've, I've done so many weddings and senior pictures sessions, family portrait sessions that I just, I don't want to do it ever again. (laughs) And it's, it's just not fun for me. It never Mm -hmm. really was. It was more about chasing the dollar versus. I mean, when you, when you are doing weddings or something like that, you are basically applying the same formula. I can, you already know how to make it look pretty and yeah. how to look the baby skin, you know, like yeah. soft and all. You know what kind of light, you know, whatever technical term, the aperture, you know. Yes. You know the, the camera settings. Yeah. And you know how to print it and, and you know how much to charge. Yes. But at that point, you're not being creative anymore, right? Exactly. And exactly. It becomes a, it's a job. I've created a job for myself and I don't job. like that. Yeah. yeah. And, and, even though you're using a camera and, and thinking of composition and colors, you are still repeating, doing a repetitive job. Yes. Kind of. Right? Yes. Yeah. But where, where it's fun for me now, I finally walked away from, um, let me, let me give you a quick background. Um, for years I did the senior pictures and weddings and things like that because it, it made money. It helped me buy more of a gear and, and, and that sort of thing. But it got to a point where I, I, being a musician, I wanted to shoot bands. I wanted to do more of that, which led to a gig working for a magazine where I was shooting bands and, and I got to see everybody, you know, that I admired even from the, the eighties and early nineties. And I realized I really liked the documentary style of photography, the journalistic, um, process basically. So the writing down and the photography to support the right, uh, the writings that you do, really became a lot of fun. And then it dawned on me that I've got all these years of experience doing these things. Why don't I document my art 
you know, and that's because that's what I really want to do. So I always, I always talk to my wife about this where I would love for my art, um, my documentary part of my art where I do the photography and the writing to be like Anthony Bourdain meets national geographic of me. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm not as cool as you, you also want your own TV show. Uh, no, no, I don't want that. I won't <laughs> no, turn it down. That, but not in that aspect, then. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you are more hipster. Your own YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah, not, yeah. not a TV show. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't. Uh, my YouTube channel. I haven't been able to figure out the right formula for that yet, and mm. I go back and forth with it. I, I try to copy, and I think as artists, uh, learning to copy is probably the best way to learn. You know. Yeah, I, yeah, and and we, uh, I think we we can have. Uh, a conversation about that dirty word, let's say, yeah, um, at some point. But first, uh, before that, I wanted to ask because you already mentioned a few, let's call them creative outlets. You mentioned writing, photography, music, painting. Uh, I think you your main one is painting, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. But uh, this is probably a pet peeve of mine. When when I talk to, uh, I'll I'll do like air quotes artists, <laughs> right? Um, that let's say you meet a musician, a pianist or, or whatever. Hey, what do you do? Oh, I'm a musician. I'm a pianist. Yeah. Um, you meet a writer and they say, I'm a writer. But who gets to say and why I am an artist? And you have somehow you have to infer, okay, this person is a painter. But usually the word artist is kind of reserved for painters, even though other creative persons, uh, yes. people are also artists you know even if yes. they write or or they do their art in some other form yeah it, it kind of is for me too that's why a lot of times when i try to expand the idea of what i'm talking about i might say creative versus mm -hmm. artist i also feel like it's a little bit weird um there are times when i if i put the the adjective fine in front of it you know when i say okay. fine it's like well, what makes it fine really i mean i i hate to kind of use it but i mean it it does help display what it is i'm trying to is, do is there any kind of consensus what is there any formal version fine arts is it what is it what you find in the in the more expensive museums or what is it really um i think the fine artists are the artists who produce sculpture painting the traditional methods if we were to mm -hmm. take technology completely out of the equation i think that kind of lends itself more to what a fine artist is if okay, that makes I, any sense I'll, I'll be nitpicky here but a chisel is a technology so you are <laughs> you are you are talking about the modern like really recent technology yes probably. yes yes, yes. Mm -hmm. yeah it, it's difficult um i mean in the, even in the mainstream if you go to some university and they have an art school what majors can you study in the art school Probably oh, not music, right? No. Yeah, I, wow. That's, you know, that's a can of worms for me. Um, I'm self-taught, <laughs> right? Um, my most formal education is high school. I had a great art teacher mm -hmm. in high school. Um, my dad brought me up um, teaching me. He was an artist, too. And he taught me how to draw and, you know, just the simple things in the beginning. But... You know, school, wow, that's, yeah, this is a can of worms. I'm going to try not to get too deep with it, but. Oh, don't worry. I, I by the way, I 
it's kind of similar for me. I did go to university, but I don't have any degree. Okay. All right. So never, never finished, you know, and, and I don't, I don't, I don't want to discourage anybody from going to college, but mm-hmm. if you're a painter, if you're a traditional painter working in oils and you want the classical background, let's um, think about music for a second. If you wanted to be in a large symphony, you know, you would go to a school that focuses on a symphony, you know, treat, treating the art form itself in that way. You would never go to a college to learn about economics and all the other things to make you a well-rounded student because your violin may only exist one hour a day. You should, you know, go eight hours a day for your violin. Um, I think of that with art for me, uh, there's, and this wasn't like this in the, in the late eighties that I remember when I was actually looking at colleges in the late eighties, it was more, well, I've got to go to Columbus college of art and design, or I need to go to Ohio state, or I need to go to Ohio university or, or one of these schools that has a good reputation for putting out good students. Right. <laughs> and I, I, it just didn't seem right. So I went to school to be, um, basically a draftsman, right? Cause I wanted to draw and of course things changed. But for me with school as a fine artist, I think you should go into the atelier system where you basically go to a studio and you learn at a studio environment with a maestro, somebody who's going to actually look over your work and judge you for what you're doing. If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're describing just an apprenticeship, right? Yeah, but absolutely. Yeah. No degree. In the context of a pretty expensive institution. probably. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And, and they weren't common when I was in, I mean, they were, but they weren't really well known. There's been a resurgence in the classical training of fine art in terms of a painter, uh, even, even sculptors too, they're, they're starting to get a little bit more back to the way they were, but you know, it's, it's, things are changing. I mean, it was 20 years ago, 30, 30 years ago, maybe. So, so what, what do you think of the, um, argument or even the reality of going to an art school or a fancy university, mostly because of the contacts, because the contacts you will make will give you access to a gallery if you're a painter or a sculptor they will give you access to uh, bands if you are a musician for example Um, is it more difficult for you for not having that formal education part sometimes um, I've I've had some galleries tell me that they're just not interested mainly because of uh, my background I don't have a strong enough pedigree basically for their gallery which is perfectly okay. And it may have just been an excuse. So I don't want to really throw that out there as the reason why, but, um, you know, really thinking about this question pretty hard. I, I really do believe that the day and age of for an artist, I don't want to say, I mean, if you're going to be a doctor or something, yes, please go to school, (laughs) go to university, get that, get that background and go, go do your thing. But I think for an artist, I think the day and age is really over where we think we have to go to a university to get a fine art degree, a bachelor of fine arts or a master of fine arts. Uh, I just don't, I don't see it being very useful for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would, I would urge people to go get a degree in business or finance or something like that mm-hmm. and be an artist and you'd have mm-hmm. that strength behind it more than yeah, going I, to a university. I have to say, um, 
if, if you say, I can paint and I can sell you a painting of mine, and I see your paintings and I like them, that's enough for me, I will buy it. Exactly. But if you tell me, I'm a doctor, I taught myself and I can operate on you, <laughs> I will say no way. Right. If I go to a doctor, <laughs> yeah. I want the, the, the highest qualification possible. So exactly. th- there's a big difference there. And I, it's probably the same for this kind of formal um, roles that have very intense ethical parts of to, to their jobs, like uh, doctors and lawyers. They, I, I expect them to have this, this kind of formal part. And I don't care if, if you as a painter or, or a musician, I don't care about their, their credentials. But I know that's not the traditional way of thinking anyway. Right. Right. Uh, and, you know, you might be able to help me with this too. But I know in this country, it seems like everything revolves around going to college and getting a, a good job. And I, I really, I think we're we're falling out of favor with that. I, I think there's trade schools that are really good to teach people how to do things that are not being utilized. We got students who would be better off in trade school than going to college. Yeah. What, what, what do you call that trade school? Um, just, you know, like if you want to be a, like a lineman, you know, for the electric mm-hmm. company, uh, okay. there's no reason so, to so, go. Yeah. I, I think the way I would translate it directly from what they're called back in my country would be something like technical school, but yeah, yes, that, that's yes. it, right? Yeah, absolutely. You're learning uh, um, the practical aspects only of, of some craft. Yes. Yes. And it's, um, it's more geared towards the actual job itself. It's, it's a lot like apprenticeships. Uh, it's way more practical. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so to answer that, and, and I'm answering a question here in my own podcast, but uh, <laughs> uh, in in my country, for example, I I was a second generation university student, okay, and I was one of the few. So most of my classmates were first generation, so first in their family to go to university, and I think at the time when I started university, which is which is in 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the case for most university students. And it, it might be even higher now, uh, even more people going to university for the first time in their families, in their family trees. Mm-hmm. But here, uh, for, let's say, families of older tradition with many generations mm-hmm. in the country, you can easily find probably four, maybe oh, yeah. five generations. Absolutely, with yeah. university studies, yeah. Yeah. And I, I've met a few, actually. I, I've, I've been to, I happen to be, well, I, I did an exchange program here in San Diego. Um, and I went for a week to the house of this um, uh, classmate from, from university. And her brother uh, was finishing high school. So they had a family meeting with, with friends, you know. Mm-hmm. And I met, uh, an, a, well, a very old person. Uh, he happened to work for NASA or something at some point, or some some uh, space company or rocket company in the 60s and 70s. And he was, I don't know, 70-something, and he was, he studied in some university, and I think his father as well. So that <laughs> that gave me a lot of perspective, you know. <laughs> yeah. my, my grandfather, like on both sides, they... they they didn't have any of these luxuries. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, actually, my paternal grandfather, he left elementary school. He dropped out of elementary school when he was, I don't know, eight or something like that. Right. Which was very common at the time, because in the countryside at that time, 
you are a little boy already. You have to work. Yeah, you know? yeah. It, I'm the my brother and I are the first generation of our of our family as well to go to college. That was really important to my father. He, um, I wanted to go to the Navy, and he was furious. <laughs> he he just he was like, no, no, no. Me and my brothers, we all went to the military and. We didn't go to school because I dropped out of school. I bought my mom her first washing machine and, and things like that. And he goes, I really want you to go to school. He goes, if you want to go to the Navy after, fine, do that. But, you know, go to school first. Of course, I picked a, a two-year school, a technical school, so I can learn how to draw uh, as a draftsman. And the idea was I'll, I'll learn that. I'll go into the Navy and be a navigator or something like that. And uh, I met my wife while I was in college, so I never went to the Navy. <laughs> mm. So interesting, but, yeah. Well, I, I'm again. I'm, I'm guessing that here it might be similar, but for example, for people of in the lowest end of the economic spectrum, or people of really low income, mm -hmm. university is not really an option. It's just not. Yeah, it's just so expensive. It's, it's not. Yeah, it's too expensive. Even with scholarship or partial scholarships, it's just you have to pay for a living in in some other state, maybe. Mm -hmm. So it's just a really, really, it's unrealistic. So for 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 those people, the military is it's a really good option to get yes. some education. And yeah, I, I think it's the same here and also in Chile. Yeah, I mean, I I grew up. My father was a factory worker. My mom was a stay at home mom, and um. You know, they, they encouraged me with my art, my music, and, you know, I I was very fortunate. You know, I, I was raised in a, a Christian home, and it they never really gave me any crap about my, my music choices, because I like heavy metal, and it was it was always, Michael, oh, that, that's probably not a good song to listen to, but, <laughs> you know, they didn't, you know, they didn't condemn me for it, basically. And over time, I just, I grew and I, I became more like my dad. I went to work in a factory and, uh, in the background, it was always, gee, I really probably should have went to art school. I had actually had three art scholarships in high school and, uh, I kept telling myself, you know, I, I just, all I can see is starving, you know, that, that myth of the starving artist. And I was just really wow, you know, I don't, I don't want to go to art school and never have anything. So I, th I think I'm going to go to drafting school and have a job and I'll be an artist it, on the side. It made you think that maybe, maybe it's not a myth, right? Yeah. Right. And you know, if, if I would have done things, if I could go back at, you know, 18 year old me, I would say, just go to art school and pursue this because you're going to be pursuing it your entire life. And you're always going to be looking back saying, what if, And, and I do, there's, there's not a day that goes by where I sit there, sit here and think if I had a formal education in fine art, what would I be doing today? And it, it's frustrating at some level, but at other levels, it's, it's still rewarding to know that I've learned pretty much everything I know on my own, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. So in high school, you were already painting. Yes. You saw yeah, as a kid? Yeah, I, I think, uh, I don't remember the actual day that I started. I I loved pen and ink when I was a child. Um, I can't remember a time I wasn't dipping a pen and ink and drawing on something. And, you know, I, I really loved pastel. That was, mm -hmm. that was something that, that introduced color to me. And my dad was a pastel artist, and uh, I, I just absolutely loved it. And I, I got frustrated a lot with... Um, 
a brush. Every time I pick up a brush, it just didn't have the same feel. It didn't have the same control and it, it was irritating to me. So I stayed away from brushes a lot. Uh, as I got older, I went into pen and ink more and uh, I thought I needed to add color to it. So I, I started using watercolor and that did really well locally for me to the point where I thought, you know, this is, this is good. People like my color work. And I had a mentor at the time. He, he said, Mike, you're never going to, you're never really going to achieve the success you want to achieve as an artist unless you start doing oils. So, uh, about 2002, I went and started buying oil paint and canvases and, um, they were horrible. <laughs> I, I hated I have it. To, I have to ask there, um, why this statement that you are not going to be successful if you don't do this technique? Is it Was it the trend at the time? Um, does it sell more? What is, what is, what's it does sell for more. It, it Yeah, it does sell for more. It's hard to command a price uh, to make a living out of drawings or watercolor paintings. I say hard. It's not impossible, but it is hard. Um, I, I get a lot of flack for saying how much someone needs in this country to make a living. And it's kind of a, it's a whole nother podcast, even on its own, really, when I think about it, but uh, there, there are really successful artists out there who are making paintings, um, at a level of, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of how to say this in a, in a good way that makes sense without making everybody go, I'm on crack, but <laughs> <laughs> 20,000 whiskey. Yeah, right. 20, 20 paintings a year at $20,000 a piece is, is a fair living. Now keep in mind, a gallery takes 50%. You've got to pay for your healthcare costs, uh, mm-hmm. which is after taxes and your taxes, like my local taxes are about 40%. So if, if the wow. gallery, yeah, if the gallery takes 50% of the $400,000, that leaves you with 200 40% even if you are self-employed yes yeah yeah um and it it just it escalates you know it just a low blow it is a low blow everybody makes more money than the artist (laughs) and it's like really i i put all this money in the economy and i get nothing i wonder if it's uh by design i probably (laughs) to encourage people to go to more like again quote-unquote useful jobs for society yeah yeah (laughs) probably so i you know it's it's a situation where I sit back and it's it's defeating me in a lot of cases because I'll sit and I'll, I'll run these numbers and go, I just, this will never happen. And thankfully, Patreon come along and people can actually donate money the way patrons used to do it centuries ago. You know, when Michelangelo needed money, he had patrons mm-hmm. giving him money uh, to just exist, <laughs> so to speak. So, um yeah, this, so the platforms, these platforms uh, made it easier for people to find artists they like yeah. and for artists to find people that they can that can contribute to, to their work. Yeah, yeah. So, you is know. Is that going well for you? Uh, right now, no. <laughs> uh, I get about $12 a month from Patreon, uh, mm-hmm. which is okay. I don't really, I haven't been on the platform very long and I really don't promote it like I should, but uh, the, the biggest thing for me is just, you know, locally selling artwork in the $500 range or a thousand dollar range. Now I also have artwork that's, um, two to $5,000. They don't sell as much. It's harder mm-hmm. for me to find a, a buyer for those, but 
you know, once once you get above three thousand dollars, I think the gallery really has its place. You know, if you have a gallery that sells often at five thousand dollars, they have clientele that are accustomed to spending five thousand dollars for a painting. Yeah. And you get yeah. into that gallery and then you move up to the next gallery and you build on that so that you do get to that point where you're selling 20 paintings a year at 20 or $30,000 a piece. That's the goal. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't have data, but I'm guessing that most users of Patreon, most people who give money, um, give smaller, way smaller amounts, right? Oh they yeah. Go yeah. There because they can, they can pay $5 a month yes. or something instead yeah. of paying 200 at a time or something. Yeah. And this is the struggle right now for me with Patreon. And I'm, I'm looking at it like, maybe my patrons aren't art lovers. They're more artists who want to learn how I do what I do. So there's, there's a, there's a trade off there. I, I so think maybe, maybe your niche would be tutorials, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and again, you know, $2 for a supporter level, $5 or $6 to, to get, you know, the newsletters and behind the scenes type stuff and uh, all that, and maybe mentorship later, but mm-hmm. you know, I, it, it's, I know people are doing well on Patreon. I just have to figure it out. You know, I, mm. I, I feel like an old dog trying to learn new tricks a lot of times, <laughs> so, which which is fine. You know, I, I do well at my making ends meet job, but mm. uh, I still always lean back to to learning how to be a, an actual fine artist. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's it's tough. So I think before I forget, sure. you mentioned you mentioned pen and ink. Did you ever get into calligraphy? Oh yeah. Yeah. The calligraphy was, that was a lot of fun. In fact, every time I would go buy a new set of ink, um, nib holders, a lot of times I would get the calligraphy set because it had a lot of art nibs in it or, uh, nibs that I would use to make art with. So I would, I would go, well, okay, what's, what's this? Or it come with a speedball speedball ink made, um, a lot of material over the years and you know, the, the, the nib, the steel nib holders and, and all that. And they would sell the ink. So a lot of times I would go to buy a, uh, a pack of something and it would come with a book and it would talk about how to do old English or, um, this script and all that. So I really, I have a, I have a deep love affair for fonts even today because, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the calligraphy part of it was just so much fun. And it, I'm not as good at it as I wish I would be, but, um, you know, it is what it is, I guess. There's people who are really good at that. Good enough. I don't know if there's, there's still people doing that, like, uh, for, for, as a job, you know, for uh, diplomas or something. That's, um, yeah, that's, that's probably a, a dead art at this point. Dead or dying, maybe. Yeah, maybe dying, some yeah. fancy school. Yeah. I remember I'll, my high school diploma uh, was was written by a guy he he was outside of the classroom like we all had to go outside just to to spell our name correctly and but he was amazing it just um of course it was a very pretty handwriting yeah and also very fast yeah but again we go back to he was at that point he's doing it you know like what you were saying taking pictures or something but yeah. it's just uh, it's just a job i i still I get compliments on my writing still to this day because I, I do, when I handwrite, it's it's pretty legible, pretty clear. I I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you 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 do handwrite, which is also a dying art. You're right. Yeah, I in fact I I love taking notes by hand. I 
it it's it's to the point where I want to grab a an iPad and start doing my notes with a stylus because I just mm-hmm. you know I, I just there's something about putting hand to pen on paper or or whatever that just it's I enjoy it the sound so you enjoy the the physical aspect of your hand holding the pen because if yeah if for you if if you can um if you're okay with doing that on an ipad and i'm pretty sure a lot of people they, they would say no just just on paper for example. oh yeah 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 in fact even in the fine art world you know when i it's it's not really i don't even want to say i when it's not real common at some of the art shows to allow people to do digital and i mm. i think it may be a local thing for me but you know i think there's a lot of really talented people who are working digitally that you know they their work needs to be seen um it, it's still done by hand i think i think a lot of people still think it's magic when it's made on a computer <laughs> and i hate that because you can't go into photoshop and hit a button and it, all of a sudden it's art you know i mean you kind of you, yeah you can do the filter thing but what i'm saying is to really make it art it's it it still has a lot to it i don't really know if i'm explaining this well but there, there, it's it's not just a button it's not just a so filter how about the you mentioned photoshop and just clicking once that's basically the instagram model right? yeah yeah absolutely where when instagram started and, and became when when it exploded the first time people were just putting this um film looks right yeah these uh washed out colors you know desaturated and they were saying oh you, you your pictures look basically artistic whatever that right. means but and, yeah. and it was literally one click <laughs> right it had a had an aesthetic to it that was not normal you know it didn't look like a snapshot and and that's cool i think you know right and i honestly yeah, it, that's it probably looked like those photos printed photos from the 60s that yeah. maybe our grandparents would have or something yes and, and and they kept them in an in an album for years and now the paper is uh degrading or yeah losing color yeah and and you know um, i the, mm-hmm. it may be the the whole reason why we have it seems like we have a resurgence of creatives this in this day and age it I remember in the 90s, it seemed like, you know, there were a lot of myths that surrounded being an artist, being a creative. People were still shooting film with their cameras. And we were in a rut, so to speak. And I think once the digital age came and supported artists who were able to work on a computer and more people got introduced to changing a look, you know, it became easier to do this. Mm -hmm. It it actually, you know, it it brought the child out in all of us and we all started doing more. And now we have so many people who are just being creative, which I think is just wonderful. Uh, I think a rising tide floats all the boats. I I heard that from Chase Jarvis several years ago and and it's true. You know, uh, our discord group that we, we met on, um, you know, when you put a bunch of people together who are creative, it's just so much better to have everybody together lifting each other up. And if you get the ego out of it, it becomes a lot of fun. It becomes, hey, yeah, this guy's supporting what I'm doing. This guy supports what I'm doing. You know, and next thing you know, you're inspired to do more. You want to share more. You want to do more. 
and you develop as an artist. Yeah, I mean, this is a community that we we wouldn't have if if it wasn't for the internet. You know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm isolated. Uh, Where I'm at, you're 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 in a pretty decent city, but um, right, uh, yeah. Where I'm at, I'm I'm out in the sticks, man. I'm I'm down here in (laughs) Middle Ohio. Uh, There's twenty thousand people in my town. I have to drive an hour to get to a city that's actually considered a metropolitan area. Um, <laughs> I mean a full hour, like a, like 40 miles away. And you know, it's, there's still people around here that when I do an oil painting, they just don't really know what to think of it. It's, Oh, that's nice. You know, I got, I got 20 bucks. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, <laughs> that's not going to do it. You know? And but, how long did it take? Half an hour? Or something? <laughs> right. Right. That must be a Photoshop thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I've done well locally. I've, there are some really, I don't want to talk like everybody hears backwoods or anything, but, um, you know, for me locally, I mean, I shoot, just looking at, looking at house prices. If I were to look at San Francisco Bay area, you know, with an, uh, um, I can tell you the prices in Seattle. Um, it, yeah, it might be more than San Francisco. It might be more than the Bay area in, in some places. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 You know, I my, think for for a few years Seattle has been the the maybe not the more expensive, but the the prices were um, like rising more than the rest of the country. Oh sure, Let, uh, just as an example, I live in a three bedroom home, uh, one and a half bath, on seven acres of property with a four car garage, and my rent is eight hundred and fifty dollars a month. <laughs> okay, I don't think you can rent a house for. Uh, I don't think you can rent a one bedroom bedroom apartment in Seattle for for that. I'm sure that of amount. it. I'm sure yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, and actually, if if you go, so I know some numbers. And if you go to if you go to Seattle downtown, which is the fancier part, mm-hmm. uh, you can rent one bedroom for twenty five hundred, maybe. Oh yeah. Yeah, I no doubt, yeah. no doubt. That, I, that's basically the, that's the base. So it starts from there. And I want to segue this into, I think my personal opinion and the way I market my work is I look at how much a person pays for rent or mortgage is a direct correlation of how what their maximum artwork price is. So mm-hmm. if you're paying twenty five hundred dollars a month for your rent chances are you'll never spend more than $2,500 on a painting. And that's even stretching. That's if you love art, you know, it's it's significantly less if you're looking for something that looks good with your couch. I guess it also gives you a lower, uh, lower bound. For example, if, if you pay 2,500 for rent Mm -hmm. and if, if I pay that and I'm offering you $50 for your painting, I'm just being cheap. Oh yeah. 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 You're being rude. (laughs) You know, at at $50, you know, now let me rephrase that because I I can, I can be brash on that, but you know, if I were to do a sketch and it's pencil meaning graphite or maybe a pen and ink sketch or something, because I've been known to do some of those and you know, the five inches by five inches or something, you know, I might sell those for, for $50 or $75, depending on what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, like a 24 by 36 canvas, uh, Belgian linen canvas 
with oil paint on it. I, I just can't. And I get that here. I get people saying, what? That should only be about 200 bucks. You know, it's like, well, no, I, I can't. What's the cost of the materials only for that? All right. Like so 24 by. Yeah. 24 by 36 Belgian linen canvas is about $75 for the canvas. Okay. Um, it's. I still offer you 50. Yeah, right. Uh, the cadmium red that I use is about $20 to $25 per 37 milliliter tube. I'm going to probably put that out. That's one color. That's one color, yeah. Uh, and I'm put, I'm going to put that out probably half a dozen to a dozen times in the process of getting the painting done. So I'll definitely use that entire tube on a 24 by 36. I, I throw away, on a 24 by 36, if I had to take a guess, I probably throw away $300 worth of art or $300 worth of paint, which is just insane. That's why I use the the glad press and seal method that I use where I put, you know, if I'm going to work on a painting, I'm going to work in sessions. And I try to use a lot of, you know, the earth tones, like the, the raw umber and burnt sienna and stuff like that mm-hmm. before I use the other stuff because it's just, it's cheaper, mm-hmm. you know, a $9 tube versus 25. So you were mentioning prices and you also mentioned galleries before, mm-hmm. but I wanted to ask you about, let me tell you an experience that I had when I, when I was um, an exchange student here. At that time, I had the opportunity. I went to two museums, big museums in the country. I went mm-hmm. to the MoMA in New York. Oh, yeah. And to the Art Institute in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Both great. Um, right. Both great. But at the same time, this was my first encounter with that kind of, let's say, highest level of fanciness. Right. Uh, uh, so I saw all sorts of weird things. Yeah, very weird. And in particular, in the Art Institute, there was a really, really large canvas. There were three large canvases. Uh, they were all square. They were all, I really don't know the size, but about two by two meters. That, that's like six by six yeah. uh, feet or something. Yeah. Or maybe maybe larger. And they were all a single shade of red. And it was very even. Like, uh, I'm guessing this is hard to make, but it was still just (laughs) one color. And I'm going to say no, it was not hard to make, and I have no idea why it was in that gallery. Okay, so (laughs) what I want to ask is, if uh, John Doe down the street goes to the museum and and hands this, you know, I I, I created this, uh, they will say, get out of here. Yeah. But then if if um some like fancy name good contacts <laughs> good uh degree from fancy university <laughs> goes and does the same they will say, oh, but, but well please welcome and thanks to you we will sell tickets for a few months now. <laughs> so what's what's about it's not about the final product. That that's my impression. Yeah, it you have cracked the code. Okay, there. Everybody listens to artists trying to figure out what is the secret code for success, and I'm here to tell you that fame has more to do with your quality of of your work than anything else. Now, everybody can throw tomatoes at me all they want, and I'm willing to deal with that. But I'm here to say I I personally think that the traditional representational artist, meaning that they, they do something when they paint it, that is supposed to look like something Mm -hmm. Um, that kind of fell out of favor in the early 19th century 
20th century, I should say, the early Are you 20th talking century. talking about realism and yeah, yeah. similar? Yeah. Okay. Um, abstract became part of the, the avant-garde. It became, this is what you do. So you have people like Jackson Pollock who essentially, and, and again, people can throw tomatoes at me all they want, but it, his paintings look essentially like the same tarp that the house painter took out of the house after he was done, you know, painting your walls and it had drips on it. And because it was avant-garde, he was famous. Um, Peggy Guggenheim liked his work and she put it in her galleries. It became you know, a status symbol, right? Mm-hmm. So but at, at my know, level, do it, they become famous doing that or do they become famous before doing more traditional stuff and it, then they deviate from there? It, it varies. Like Picasso is a really good example of that. He was, he went to the Academy, wanted to learn how to paint um, representational or realistic and he was good at it. He really was. I, I would love to see what he would have come up with had he not gone down the, the path he went down. I, I love Picasso for what he's done. I love Picasso for him as an artist, but I don't like his art. Mm-hmm. And and I would tell him that if he was still alive today, I would actually say, you know, I'm just not really interested in this at all. I, I understand what you're doing. But at some point, it's shock value to me. And I I don't really fit the mold of a lot of artists. I'm okay with saying it like that because I just, you know, it's it. I'm more of a conservative sort of, oh man, the words are hard to put into, in, into this. Uh, I see people like Rembrandt, Vermeer, uh, Rubens, you know, some of the 17th, 16th century Dutch artists who really painted something that was supposed to look like something. I see them as masters and I see the impressionist painters starting to deviate because they wanted attention. And then I start seeing the abstract as being the absolute, completely off the wall, screaming child in the room, trying to get attention artists if that makes any sense mm-hmm. and do you ever see it as a lack of the necessary skills for for the other for the realism part for example yeah yeah i do i see some some of these people who they fall in love with the idea of being an artist not actually making the art mm-hmm. um and, and i know this is not popular what i'm saying here is just not popular at all and and you're you're digging deep I welcome, here i welcome unpopular yeah i i i love artists who essentially stick to the tradition, you know, and that's my style of art. You know, I, I guess if somebody wants to buy a painting that looks good with their couch, that's fine. Um, I don't see anything wrong with that. What I see wrong with that in terms of money is why would you spend a hundred thousand dollars on a painting that looks like a child produced it when you don't need to, that just seems bizarre to me, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I'm probably probably way off the charts wrong here, but for some people, but you know, it, it is what it is. Well, I'm not asking for right. I'm asking for <laughs> your take. <laughs> Actually, I have more museum questions, and 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 yeah. you just mentioned, like for example, uh, it looks like drawn by a child, but you have these pieces drawn by elephants, right, and, and monkeys, <laughs> and, right. 
<laughs> and they they become viral basically <laughs> i think that's their monetary value comes from the viral part yeah yeah but fame, actually yeah. My, my my you can comment on that but i i also have more museum um questions uh, unless you, you want to say something about these elephant pieces <laughs> Uh, I think it's creative. I think it's awesome that an elephant can make something. I just, that, to me, it proves the point that, you know, you're spending too much money on something that an elephant can create if, if you don't want to buy my work, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think an elephant could probably, I don't think an elephant could do what I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, the, yeah, that's, that's true. How, how, um, the, the other museum question, or one of the others. How about these pieces where, it's not enough to stand in front of it and watch it. You also have to look at it in so much detail until you see the one part that that that's kind of the key. So there's some there's some explanation behind the let's say the the painting. Yeah. And the question is, um, should that explanation be there, like a description in a YouTube video? This is video. Th- this video is about this, or like a. a a trailer of a movie that is already hinting you what the movie is about. Should should there be th- this explanation, like let's say below the painting, so you can read if no. you didn't get it? No, because people react differently to to different um, paintings and depending no. on the mood or their background. This this one's an easy one. To me, if it needs an explanation, there's not enough in it to actually inspire the viewer to know what it's trying to convey. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have to add words, the painting itself didn't, didn't do its job. Mm-hmm. I mean, but that was, that was my, or it's a point that I wanted to make because uh, you do have this, this uh, very, okay, I'm going to use the word crazy, but just, mm-hmm. just very crazy or delusional, delusional artists yeah. who just put uh, a bottle in the middle of a park <laughs> <laughs> and they get paid and a lot of publicity for that. Yeah. And the reason is the explanation, not the actual yeah. whatever they put there. Yeah. Is no, this symbolizes the repression of mankind or what whatever they have, the explanation they have, it will be with big words. Yeah. But the the what they're selling is that, not the actual piece of glass that they put there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> do you compete with those guys? I don't know. I, I, uh, we're in a different ballpark altogether, <laughs> but I, okay. Be, because you're trying to aim for galleries and they, uh, they aim for museums or. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 fo- I, I think it's, you know what? It's like music. Uh, this would be the easiest thing to look at. Uh, you have your pop music, your heavy metal music, your country music, traditional music, uh, meaning folk, uh, and even even the music of the of the different um, parts of the world, I th- I think everything has its place. You know, if if I were to go to Mongolia and play heavy metal, it just it probably wouldn't fit very well. If I went to um, India and played pop, there are some people who would enjoy it, but they're traditionally it, they would not. And I'm talking about uh, pop music from the United States mm-hmm. um, or, or Europe, I guess. Um, it works that way with art too. If if I if my target market is traditional representational classical realism 
type artwork, those people have a disdain for abstract and modern art just as much as I do. So they're going to spend the money that I'm asking for my work simply because that's they're excited that they found it. So my job as an artist, and I think this is common for any artist out there who's listening, you, you need to find your market and find the galleries who are going to support that market and don't waste your time on stuff that's out of the ballpark. You know, if, 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 if I'm there to play baseball and a guy shows up with a soccer ball, it's the wrong stadium. (laughs) So it's, it's really important to maintain that, um, artistic integrity of knowing where your work is better suited. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And how about the forms of art that require interaction with the artist? Um, because the artist is there physically, for example. And uh, the one I wanted to mention when I went to the MoMA in New York, I don't know if you've heard of Marina Abramovich. No. Uh, she's an, um, well, I think the word they use is performance or performance artist. Okay. She does all sort of really, really interesting, but also crazy stuff. In this case, it was she was sitting all day uh, without moving. Okay, so there was a table in front of her, and there was another chair, and there was a queue. You, as a visitor, as a guest to the museum, you you could wait there for hours <laughs> for your opportunity to be sitting in front of her, <laughs> and you could stay there for as long as you wanted. So some people lasted ten minutes or didn't want to stay more. Some people did it for two hours, and, and the next person will have to wait two hours. Mm-hmm. And, but some of them have had really, really deep, and you can, I think there are videos of this, really deep, like, breakdowns, uh, emotional breakdowns. They started crying, and, and, wow. and because of her look, like, she is deeply into you during that time. There's no physical contact whatsoever, right? There's a table between you and the artist, but she's looking at you. And and uh, some people at their interviews and they 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 started feeling all of these things and memories from childhood and what I don't know it's it's uh, really uh, interesting, mm-hmm. but th- th- this was uh, on the base floor and then there was some upstairs there was some other exhibit from her with volunteers or helpers with stuff like again this is crazy but it w- there was naked people one in front of each other. Mm-hmm. And this was some kind of a tunnel. This is the tunnel exhibition. And wow. your role as a member, as a viewer of this piece of art, as a consumer of this piece of art, was to walk through the tunnel. So you had to walk between two people who are one or two feet apart, naked. Hmm. Um, so <laughs> you have to have some physical contact yeah. There's also guards making sure that you're don't don't do anything mm-hmm. inappropriate. But even even um, even if you're skinny, it, it was still it was uncomfortable, you know. Oh yeah. So, some people had to reach with their arms, you know, and, and hands just to to make some room. Um, <laughs> there was also an exhibit of people walking every like thirty seconds or so against the wall. They would hit their body against the wall. 
Wow. Not hard, but they would do it again and again and again. And this is something that she did originally with, with some other person. Wow. Um, they would walk, uh, let's say, um, like in a standoff. They would be looking at each other from some distance, and they would walk toward each other. They would hit each other, and they would walk back to the same place, and they would repeat this for the whole day. This is there's no eating, no bathroom break. Yikes. So this is this is what they call performance artists, and yeah. the, I'm pretty sure there's some other term. But I wanted to ask about what, what's your view. Maybe you didn't know this before, or this kind of yeah. Of it, the, well, I need to, I need to ask. This was this was your introduction to the Momo. This was the Momo in New York. Yeah, yeah. that's wow. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to say that right now. I mean, this just, was, by the way, this was next to, I think on the same floor or next floor, there was a really old Lotus, the, the car, you know, but a really yeah. old car yeah. Yeah. Um, next to some cutlery from the 1800s. Wow. So, again, this is a variety of things that are not, clearly not related. Yeah, yeah. But they were in the same, in the museum at the same time. Okay. So on on the performance art side, I I personally don't see performance art as being uh, I don't want to call it not art, but in in terms of this is a tough one. It really is because you know performance like dance um I I see like ballet as being just absolutely beautiful. Um but for example, for the for the for example that I gave yeah, you, yeah, for the is, example this, you're this giving me, I'm just yeah. We have to say something. She is creative. Yeah, I yeah, I I don't know. I just I don't I I don't know what the the draw is for that. I guess I'd have to see it, but um, it, it's tough. It really is because I mean, you 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 have a gallery. They're making. Well, I should say museum. Their mm. their 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 money comes from you know admission. People want to see things, and and I, I get that. But uh, you know, for me, it's it's very traditional. You know, I when I walk into a museum, I I really want to see paintings of of Dutch masters. I want to see paintings of people who you know really. I don't. I don't mastered their craft, so to speak. Um, do you think that you want to see that because you are more educated in in this area? Probably. Some people yeah. want to see whatever is trendy. Yeah, probably. Yeah, and, and and let me let me back up to you know someone like Jackson Pollock, who I for some reason, even in my own podcast, I I kind of make fun of. I mean, he, he's made plenty of money. Uh, he, he survived as a visual artist for all these years and I don't like his work but I think standing in proximity to his work I would feel something I think I would look at it and go yeah it's it's impressive that you know he did this as an artist now on the same token though if I stand next to a Rembrandt which I have or a John Singer Sargent um there's there's been a few occasions where I've almost been brought to tears by looking 
you know, knowing that I was standing at the same distance from the painting that the artist was when he painted it, because I, I, I feel a kindredship there that they struggled. There's, there's a, there's a, there's a war of art that happens every time they make a painting. There's, there's going to be mistakes. There's going to be things you need to cover up, you know, contrary to belief, you know, not everything's like Bob Ross, you know, you don't make a happy little mistake and it's just, that's what it is. Sometimes it's really frustrating when you come across something that just, it ruins the, the image. I can't tell you how many canvases I've actually burned that just were halfway three quarter of the way done. And I was like, I, no, I can't sell this. It's over. Mm-hmm. Throw it away. Let, let me go deeper in the, into the tears topic. Do you think that that feeling of being close to tears or actually breaking into tears, is it because of what you know or what you are seeing? What I know. Yeah, it's definitely what I know. I, I know there's a struggle. I know that every artist who, and, and whether I like their work or not, that's really negligible here, but every artist that I know has really put their heart and soul into something and they want to make a living at it. They want to be able to, you know, make ends meet, so to speak. And it it's difficult. It really is. In, in this day and age, particularly, because that's what I know, I, I think it's very hard to say you're an artist because so many people have this, well, you won't make any money until you're dead myth, or they have the concept of, you know, nobody makes money like that at all. And it's it amazes me how many people realize that Picasso didn't die until the 1970s. They, they the, the general education in my area, at least, is that Picasso is a peer with Rembrandt, which is so not true. I mean, they're two, two yeah. totally different places. You know, Velasquez was, was a, a fantastic painter, but so many people don't know who he is. It's, 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 as I look at this, I, I think about, it's a genre thing. It's a, you know, this is, to me, this is what it is. As I, I, I know I'm not really saying this very well. And your listeners are probably like, this guy, man, I can't get it. But there is a point at every artist's life or in every, every artist's life where they have to look at something and say, am I being genuine with myself? Am I trying to copy somebody else? Am I trying to be myself? Am I trying to do my thing? Or am I just comparing myself with others so much that I become other people? And I finally, as an artist, I I finally come to terms with the idea that, you know, I am self-taught. This is the work I do. It's good enough. I know it is. It's every bit as good enough technically as the artwork we see in museums. I'm not famous. I haven't died yet. You know, all these things. I have to look at this and go, what do I need to do as a creator to make the work valuable? And that really becomes a question of where can I get the work shown? I have to get the artwork in front of eyes that see it as valuable. And that, that honestly, that's the key. Mm-hmm. It's sad that I know this and I can't seem to pull it off, but it's, that's the key. <laughs> so going going back again to the 
not necessarily tears, but emotional yeah. responses from from art. Do mm-hmm. you get the same from other kinds, like a a good book or or a piece of music? Uh, a movie, yes. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been known to tear up for a movie. Uh, the new one, uh, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, I, I'm a big comic book fan, so the new Captain Marvel um, movie. I, I've been reading on Twitter that a lot of people are really tearing up over the the tribute to Stan Lee, which, uh, yeah, I'll probably tear up on that because, uh, to me, Stan Lee was just, um, he was an icon, you know, uh, he, I read a lot of comic books when I was a kid and, you know, when I, I, I even thinking about it right now, I'm thinking, wow, it's, this is heavy, but, uh, you know, he's gone. Uh, the day I did a drawing, I did a video published a video on drawing Iron Man. I didn't have any idea that Stanley was going to die that day, but the day that I published that video, he died and it just, it's heavy, you know? Um, Is this one of your videos with the most views? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's got a lot I of views. So. Yeah. I've seen your channel. And I've seen this. So maybe, maybe that's the reason why. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. timing. Yeah. Timing was, yeah, it was impeccable there. I'm, I'm not a real huge Iron Man fan, but uh, in fact, I like Spider-Man probably more than Iron Man, but you know, they, they do this tribute in Captain Marvel and I guess, I guess, uh, worldwide it's been, you know, people clapping and crying and it's emotional. It's, it's something it's, it's impressive. Mm-hmm. And you know, we're talking about comic book here, you know, in terms of fine art, it's not fine art, but, you know, to some of us, it is, you know, when I look at, you know, some of these, these artists who do these comics, uh, they're every bit as good as anybody who's ever lived. So yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot there. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the other question I wanted to ask you, because you happen to be also a musician is there's a, a key difference between what you paint um, between painting and music, mm-hmm. which is um, painting as a consumer, as a viewer, you see the final result. But with music, you don't necessarily hear what the composer intended, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. if, even even if you are the composer and you are playing the piece, it, it, even if you are the songwriter and you are like playing with your band or your guitar, mm-hmm. every performance will be different. Unless you are automating this in a computer, sure. But yeah. every performance will have a hint of this emotion or that emotion. Uh, it will have a different dynamics in 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 the bridge or, or in whatever part. Right. So every, I don't know. Do you consider each performance of a song, for example, uh, a new instance of a piece of art? How how do you see this difference? Yeah, yeah. That's that's great. I think every performance, and this this goes between buying the published music, uh, like as a DVD or CD or download or whatever, however you do it. Um, that's one thing, and then there's the aspect of performance, and and yeah, it's going to sound. There's going to be uh, attonation differences. There's going to be um, energy level differences, tempo differences, just a whole nine yards. I think, and, and this, this harkens back to me shooting bands professionally as a photographer for magazines. There was an energy level there in the pit when I would go down at stage edge 
and I would be standing there looking at, you know, I'm going to use Megadeth here as an example because uh, being an 80s kid, uh, uh, born in the 70s and, and kind of coming of my age in the 80s, Megadeth was a heavy metal band that, you know, thrash metal band that really drove me as a, as a young person and, uh, being able to shoot the band over and over several times over the years. Um, there's, I know the music, right. And Mm -hmm. shooting the band with a camera, there was a different energy. And to answer your question, there's, there's a performance aspect and then there's a technical aspect of the music itself. And it just, it, that's to me, that's, that's what makes music really awesome. I think people need to get out and actually see more live music because there's, there's a difference between the live music and the actual purchased music. Uh, and it, it's more than just how did they pull this off? It's more than just a no, uh, a sound that they might've heard, but there's also the energy of the location. I've, I've seen, I'm, I'm friends with uh, the drummer from Breaking Benjamin and I've seen them perform multiple locations. And I know that when, I know that when Sean is, uh, Sean, the drummer is in a good mood, he does, a, there's a, just a different dynamic to the entire band. It's just, it, I don't really know how to explain it, you know, and I'm sure it's the same way with, um, orchestra as well. I, I think, you know, if the, if the director of the orchestra is feeling the energy of the room, there's going to be more there. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure for all kinds of music, it, it not only depends on the mood of the performance, but mm-hmm. also let's say, what if the audience is not responding? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or if the audience is responding way more than you expected, for example, and they want more, maybe you will you will give them more. You know, yeah, like, let's play yeah. for an extra half hour or something. Yeah, yeah, it goes from being a job to fun, you know, because I I know at at levels way up there, you know, it it is a job. It's how you make your living, and you lose a little bit of that that fun. I guess <laughs> I've sure, heard, but but you also, for example, you. Just like, um, let's say, the NBA players, not all of them want to risk injuries with the yes. dunk competition. Um, <clears throat> not every singer will want to do an extra half hour because that's a, it has a really high toll, you know, on their throat, for example. Yeah. And when they're on tour, they will have to do the same tomorrow or two days from now, the, the same two hours. Absolutely. So it's not an easy decision, but when they feel it, they they just do it, and I think they do it happily. Yeah, which which takes me back to this observation that it does seem to be just a this is a different instance, it's a different piece, you know, it's not mm-hmm. the same one mm-hmm. basically because the 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 result for the audience is just different. Yeah, yeah, and this takes us back to the beginning of the podcast. It's it's uh. There's so much more to the art itself when I would define art. For me, defining art really, I guess to go back to this, it's that moment I move paint on the canvas or that moment I make that line on the paper or add pigment to the paper or, you know, whether it's paper, 
canvas doesn't really matter. It's it's so much different than the other arts, and that's that's really why I wanted to start the blog, the the podcast I did, where I talk to artists from all walks of life, and they they share essentially what what drives them, what's their passion. It goes a little bit below pat to me. It goes a little bit below passion and becomes more of what makes them who they are and mm. the art that they create. Because, you know, if I do a painting, it's for a particular market. If somebody does a song, it's for a particular market. And yeah, they all overlap. I guess if you were to do a Venn diagram, it would be these people like this kind of music. These people like this kind of visual art and it overlaps here. But as artists, I, I think I'm I think I'm actually fortunate for being a musician and a visual artist and also somebody who's really embraced technology meaning the camera and some other other ways here but I, I I think for me at least it does fall back into the visual traditional art forms where I want to be known as Rembrandt someday. I want I want people to know that I painted in the traditional style or I drew in the traditional style of the 16th, 17th, 17th century Dutch artists. And I, I, I don't want to sound boring here. It's just, it's, it's one of them things where it's, it, it drives me. It really does. You know, I, I was a good musician, but I'm a much better painter. I was a good mm-hmm. photographer, but I'm a much better painter. Um, in a sea today in a sea of photographers and everybody diving into the videography and the photography and everybody's doing kind of the same thing. It becomes really hard to be unique and be you. And I, I think, uh, I had, I, I did an interview several years ago with, um, Sean O'Sullivan, he was the brewmaster at 21st Amendment in San Francisco. And I flew out and we did an interview. It was a great interview. We we talked, he, we chatted. He got me tanked up pretty good with all the samples. Um, I mean, really, he was, he was a good guy. He really was. He's a saint. But, um, you know, we talked for a while. And when, when I turned the recorder off, he said, so why are you doing photography? And I, I said, well, I mean, it's, I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say, don't tell me your answer. Your answer was, I don't know. Yeah, it, it was, it was, I don't know. I don't know. It was like, it was, it was a quick buck. Honestly, I hate to, I hate to say it that way, but it, it was. And he said, Mike, he said, if, if, if I had the ability to move paint, I'd do that. And it really stuck with me. It stuck with me really hard. And I said, you know, what am I doing here? You know, I, I was doing a, a blog called the thirsty muse and I was doing a vi- uh, I was trying to get into video at that time. It was 2016. And at that time, I mean, this was only a few years ago. You were already married, for example. Yeah, 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 yeah. But absolutely. If you had done this interview when you were, let's say 22, were you married at 22? I was. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 20, <laughs> 18 or something. <laughs> 18. Yeah. But let's say younger, impressionable. <laughs> Uh, maybe you you would have 
taking the the, the leap uh, maybe i don't know yeah yeah if i honestly to answer this question if if i were 18 today and i knew about michelangel studios atelier in florence italy i would be signing up today to leave mom and dad and say i'm going to move to italy for four years um, don't, don't worry, I'm not going to the Navy. <laughs> but I'm going to move up to <laughs> right. another country. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they would have supported me with it. They would have, my dad would have loved it. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's no degree there. You're not going to come out with a, a degree that says, you know, you're qualified to do this or that. And, and yeah, you're, you're not going to get a job to make ends meet with that degree. But going back to what you said earlier, it does give you contacts. It, it does set you up with the idea that, you know, these are the people who collect this type of artwork and it gives you the pedigree to go into galleries who are going to support that. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of benefits there. I, I feel like I've missed out on that and I got to figure out how to, how to find that. Um, as an artist, it's frustrating to me because I, again, where I'm located now, there are no atelier type mm-hmm. of schools even remotely near me. Uh, Chicago is probably the closest. Ravenswood Atelier. How far are you from Chicago? I'm about six to seven hours drive from Chicago. Mm. So with with my requirement as a husband, father, um, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. sole, sole uh, breadwinner, it, it, it's just not going to happen, you know. Um, Online is an option. I've looked at some different, like Watts. I think it's Watts Atelier over in San Diego. They have an online option. Uh, I, I definitely won't have a degree from it, which is fine. I'm not looking at a degree. I'm looking at better um, schooling, better education. But mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of this today can be found. I mean, you can find it on YouTube. You can find it on buying your own thing. You can buy your books. You know. You, I mean, yeah, your other option is just uh, find a way to grow your youtube channel yeah. and your patreon account or something yeah 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 uh it's it's connections it's it's fame i, I hate to go back to fame but it, it is i've, I've got to prove to people that you know i'm worth collecting and i think that's that's true for if you have any listeners who are are wanting to be visual artists i think that that's i mean if i was 18 years old yeah i'd i'd find an atelier if if you're into the uh so realistic Let's uh, break the. Let's let's give a low blow to the potential seventeen, eighteen year old sure. listeners of this podcast. Yeah. So, because you mentioned before, um, something about go and study business, for example, go yeah. and study business, and you can still paint. You yeah. can Still do your art. Yeah. Um. What What is your advice for younger people who are considering? what you consider at that age. Okay. So if you are a traditional painter and a classical realist, somebody who wants to do representational art, I would drop everything and go to an atelier. I would find one. I would go to the art renewal center and look for approved ateliers. Uh, A T. am uh, not bad. I'm terrible at spelling. A T E L E. I'm sorry, A-T-E-I-E-L-E-R. A-T-E-L-I. Yes, yes, that's it, that's it. Thank you. Um, And look look at those. 
And that is going to give you the most traditional method of training that you could possibly get. Now, when you graduate, you're not going to have a degree. You're, you're going to have a diploma that said you went to this school. But you're going to be focused on making a living as a visual artist in the representational classical realism style. Now, if you're not an artist of those types of art, then that's not your you don't go there. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like if you want to be a dentist, you know, don't go to, don't go to school to be a, I don't know what <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to, I'm reaching here, but, um, going back to my, my 17 year old self, you know, if you find yourself thinking that you want to be a visual artist, you know, you can learn a lot from books. You can learn a lot from YouTube. You can learn a lot from, taking a workshop here and there, you know, take a year and study art, you know, go, go do the workshops at different places. If you feel like you have to have a degree, go to get, get a degree in business, you know, get a degree in finance and use that to your advantage because then you've got your background in those sorts of things. If you have to make ends meet, you have that to fall back on, but at the same time, you still are an artist. I, I, I just think in the modern world, we have so many options to be what we want to be and be, a, you know, have a career that we want to have. And, and we're, we're lucky, you know, in, in other countries, survival means finding a place to, to lay down, finding clean water. And we, in the United States specifically, we, we take for granted so many things that other countries are dying for. And I really, I, I just think if you want to live life you want to do your thing, do your thing. You don't have to have a degree for it. You don't have to have a, a piece of paper that tells you that you're good enough. You are good enough. You, you just need to do it. You know, mm-hmm. that that's kind of my two cents on it. And I, I have no dog in the show here, I guess about, um, being self-taught because I, I, I own it. I'm, I'm very happy about being self-taught. I'm very happy about the fact that I didn't go to art school. I, I regret it. Sometimes I didn't because I, I wonder what I would have learned, but at the same time, I'm, I'm, you know, I've achieved quite a bit as an artist, a visual artist, even locally. I've, I've, mm-hmm. I've achieved very, very good success. So, um, um, uh, I think we are okay with time, right? Or, mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask you about two dirty words or dirty concepts. And one of them is related to all of this, which is some people will say, especially younger people, they will say, my art will will speak for itself. Um, People will find me if I'm good or something. Therefore, I don't have to learn, for example, all of these business practices or business terminology. I don't have to learn how to manage my money. And... Eventually, they will find they will hit a wall of reality, right? Yeah. When they 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 don't they they find that they cannot even do their taxes. Yeah. Um. What's uh? How how do you respond to that? Because that attitude might come from a really talented person that will see a career destroyed because of this attitude. Yeah. Your your talent. That's a very good point. Your your talent's only going to take you so far. I'm 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 a big big fan of Calvin Coolidge when he said, um, 
you know, talent's only going to get you part of the way your, your persistence is what's going to get you the rest of the way. Um, there's more to that. I'm paraphrasing quite a bit of that, but, mm -hmm. um, but in your experience, the talent takes you how far? I mean, if it takes you, yeah, if I were to give it the way where you are famous, that's yeah, maybe good enough for some people, but we're all talented. I'll, I'll say it this way. Every one of us on the planet is talented in some way, shape or form. And if your talent ha happens to be visual arts, um, you lost that talent at seven years old. You're, you're no better than a seven year old who has the same amount of talent. So at, at that point you have to develop that talent into a skill. I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that, <laughs> and, and this is not a popular sentiment. I think at seven years old, you are either an artist or you're not an artist, meaning that you have the skill set, the aptitude to do it, but we, we all have the ability to, to learn how to draw. We all have the ability to learn how to paint. I, I could take somebody who just has the desire to paint. I, I guarantee you within a year, they'll be drawing and painting very well. And if, to go back to the question, if, if you were to look at this and say, I, I have to do this one thing, it, it really, really I have to drive this home and say, you know, you have to, talent's only going to take you 10% of the way. It really is. Everything mm -hmm. else is 90% you. I don't know. I, I hope that answered your question there, but. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, it's just, I, I think I've, I've been part of that myself, uh, which is, you know, it's probably some youthful arrogance, mm -hmm. you, you could say, right? That, that you can think um, that your talent will, will take you will help you or will guide you forever yeah. and 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 therefore you you skip the work and eventually you realize that people who are actually doing the work uh go further than you yes absolutely so I, i've seen it i've done it myself and so i learned my lesson uh but I, I i keep seeing it and and i wonder whether somebody told me and i just ignored him or maybe just nobody told me or or and if somebody told me and I ignored them, like how can we explain this in a way that, that it makes makes them realize that, yeah, that yeah. It, it is a real thing, right? Well, I I have to I gotta admit here, um, I'm very jealous of your background. Um, you know, I don't know how much you know of my background. Maybe you wouldn't be so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I guess uh, based on where you're from in the world. Um, I think to this day, I think a lot of South American people really still value making things with their hands, you know, and, you know, in the Western world, meaning, you know, Great Britain, Western Europe, United States, mm -hmm. all those, I, I think everything has become a commodity. And... I, I really feel like if, if I were to drop myself in Chile or uh, Bolivia or any of these countries, I think if I could at least make enough to eat, I'd be happy. And in this country, it, it becomes more of a, I have to have this, I have to have this nice car, I have to have this nice house. And mm -hmm. it, there's so much more to it that 
you know, keeping up with the Joneses is kind of the phrase we use, but yeah, yeah I, I know it. Yeah. It, it's, it's crap. <laughs> I mean, it really is. It's, I, I think it's, it's crap, but it's real. It is real. It is real. But I, I really, I love culture. I love, I, I guess if I were to go to school today, <laughs> is it going back to this, but, mm-hmm. um, Anthropology has always been something very interesting to me in terms of the science of it and understanding it. But I just, I find it very interesting when I, I meet somebody from another country or I, and maybe it's because I'm from where I'm at. I don't see really very many people, but when I meet somebody from another country or if I meet somebody from a different way of life or a different culture, I am just so mesmerized by all the stuff they bring to the table because it's so interesting. You know, the, the food culture, the, the family culture, the art culture, everything is just so fantastic to me. Um, I think we lose that in the Western culture a lot because we are looking at what can it do for me? I, I know how terrible that sounds, but it's, it's very selfish. Mm-hmm. Very practical too. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Uh, but I guess you are also more open-minded. I, I don't know if that uh, has to do with the artist part, or maybe it's just a, your family formation. You know, family family values. Yeah, family. I mean, family, these are yeah. things that you probably don't learn as an adult. It's just it came with you when when you were a kid. Yeah. And when I say it came with you, it means it was instilled. You know, by your parents. Yeah. Well, it goes back to Anthony Bourdain said it well, really well. You put food on the table, we all become the same people, you know. <laughs> uh, he knew that really well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I if I were to sit down with your family in Chile, I think we would all eventually, the, the, the barriers would come down, the barriers would come down and it would become more like a family. It would be, you know, you just... You learn the culture that way. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm guessing, uh, and probably some people have done this experiment, but you can put, let's say, you can sit six people at a table, mm-hmm. all of them speaking different languages, mm-hmm. none of them with a language in common, and you you put food on the table, and they will look at each other and smile while they, they <laughs> right. eat. So right. there is communication, even if it's not. Verbal, for example. Right, right. Yeah, my my uh, my Latin language, uh, mean Spanish, meaning uh, is is terrible. You know, um, and and I I almost hate to even say it, but like if I were to, we had a guy. I was working on the on the engine line where I worked at a factory here in town, and um, everybody said he looked Mexican. So he he had a really hard time with handing the airline to the next guy because we we would share an airline to hook things up with our our power tools and i learned the phrase he needs an airline and I, to this day i don't know if it's very good or not but i know that when i looked at him one day and he he looked mexican he's not um and i looked at him one day and i said que necesita mangore de arde and he looked at me and he was like, what? <laughs> I was like, I, I, I think it translates to he needs an airline. But I still, to this day, I still really don't know. But uh, Have you seen the Karate Kid, the, the new one? I mean, with uh, Will Smith's uh, kid? No. Oh, you haven't? No. <laughs> uh, so he, he moved to China 
with his mom. Oh. And he's in the airplane with some book trying to learn some basic Chinese. <laughs> he looks at this Chinese-looking guy next to him in the airplane, and he says some phrase, you know, some hello, sir, or something. <laughs> and the guy, looks at, the guy looks at him, dude, I'm from Detroit. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> that, that's that, great. That's one. Yeah, it's, it's a great scene from that movie, and nice. that's one that I have. But the other one, it's a a colleague from my previous job. Uh, he was from India. He was married to a Mexican woman, first generation daughter of Chinese immigrants in Mexico. <laughs> okay, so she's Chinese looking, completely not. Mm. Mexican. Mm -hmm. She speaks perfect Spanish, wow. native, you know, because she was born and raised there mm -hmm. in Mexico City. He is short, very brown, very <laughs> dark, um, and he also has some some uh, some injury or some problems, so he limps a little. Mm -hmm. And when they, <laughs> he was telling the story when they visited Mexico City for the first time to visit uh, to meet uh, her parents they were on the street and whenever they they were like in a restaurant or something people would talk to him <laughs> because oh. they would say oh okay this is the guy guiding the chinese tourists here, right. you know and he struggles <laughs> and he he knows three words okay he knows more but he his spanish is is basic yeah uh, <laughs> so enough to give directions or or order something in a restaurant yeah. but yeah, <laughs> it was. Uh, yeah, it was the same kind of thing, right? <laughs> he ended at hola. <laughs> yeah, but that's basically all he could say. <laughs> no, actually, it was. I think even funnier than that because people would talk to him. They would look at him to expect a response, and then she would start talking in perfect native Mexican Spanish. Oh wow! And people would look like so surprised, you know? Yeah, that's great. I I uh, I've taken on uh, Icelandic. I want to learn Icelandic really, really bad. And it's, I've been told several times, it's like, dude, that's, that's just not a, go learn German or something. I, yeah. I understand it's, um, at least for English speaking people and apparently for many other languages, it's kind of the toughest to learn. It is very, to very learn. tough. Yeah. Uh, to skill or Eastland school is, do you understand Icelandic? And um, there's, there's so much to the way they move their mouth. And uh, to me, like a guttural sound or a, a, another something that just, I mean, look up a volcano name in Iceland and, and it's like, wow, that that's tough, you know? <laughs> uh, but, you know, for me, it's, it's more cultural. Uh, I know my family hails from Scandinavia and old Norse, is uh, a lot of um, a lot of what like my last name means to watch. Uh, it, it's interesting. I just want to learn more about it, you know. And mm -hmm. um, growing up in Ohio, learning Spanish really wasn't. I mean, it was a it was a class in high school, and so was Spanish or uh, uh, French, but. Um, you know, we're, we're, uh, the ability to talk to other people, I, I think is a, is a big deal. You know, I think a lot of people speak English, but I, I'm always one of those, I'm one of these people who always say, you know, if I, if I'm going to go to, um, 
Russia, I want to learn the language. If I'm if I want to go to the Faroe Islands, I want to learn Faroese. <laughs> you know, well, e- even if I don't go to Russia, I would learn Russian just to read Dostoevsky. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you're just you know at at the very least for me, I like to I like to have a good drink. The the very minimum for me is Nostrovia, right? <laughs> so <laughs> you, you want to read the label on the bottle, right? Right? Yeah, <laughs> I I think. I think we are doing ourselves culturally and I know we're kind of getting off the topic of art, but I, I think we're doing ourselves as a, uh, a disservice by not learning each other culturally because at the same time, we all have so much to offer on this planet. And I guess that's probably what makes me open-minded, I guess. I don't know, but with my art, it's, it's, it's about making a visual statement but at the same time, I, I really want people from all over the world to enjoy it. And I, I, I feed, literally feed on other people's culture. I think it's, uh, I think it's fantastic. I really do. I, I think there's just so much the world can offer each of us. It's, it's just, it's fun. It really is. So to, um, might be the last question that I had, but sure. actually this probably is enough to trigger another whole podcast episode <laughs> or maybe even more. And it was about the other, the other dirty concept or word, which is copying. Mm-hmm. Copying, yes. Not only art, but the, the way we learn in general is by copying. We learn mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. And there, there is a creative aspect eventually but all artists copy, period. Yeah. And yeah. that's a reality. And there's a dark side to the world. There, there's some dark connotation. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted your view or your take on that, especially because, again, probably for younger people, they consider it, they see copy as a bad thing. Yeah. And it might have to do with, with, copyright law right. which includes the word copy there yeah but um we have to separate the two things right so copying is how we learn and eventually you add some of your own salt your own originality to your creations but you don't have a problem with copy right 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 it, this this yeah it's it it's a big big topic um, I think, wow, there's so many things that ran through my mind when you were saying that I, I, it almost feels like cheating, doesn't it? Right. <laughs> uh, when you copy, it's like, Oh, I'm cheating. You know, it, it's not really, it's, uh, emulating where you want to be. You know, you're obviously at some level, you're comparing yourself to others. And you're comparing yourself to what you want to be. And and there's nothing wrong with that if it's a positive thing. If you compare yourself to others and it becomes one of those situations where you say, I'm not good enough, then that's that's a negative connotation and I don't want to go there. But if you're comparing yourself to, like in my case, to John Singer Sargent, who was a fantastic British uh, painter who just... He he commanded the stroke, like you wouldn't believe. I mean, it's like you know, 
this mark had a reason to be there, you know, and, and I still paint in, in the, the idea that I'm going to fix that mark. I just put on there because it's not good enough right now. But, uh, looking at Sergeant, he, he had that command of, you know, he put the stroke on the, on the canvas and it was done. It was a finished stroke. It was what it is. And if I were to emulate Sergeant, it would be, how do I achieve that with my skill set? And as you copy it, you learn, well, that's how he made that. Oh, okay. I get it. And you move on and you move on and, and you, in the words of Austin Cleon, you steal like an artist, right? Nothing, nothing we do is original. Everybody's painted the same thing over and over. We're just doing it again, different times. You know, if I were to go out downtown Chillicothe, Ohio and paint the world around me, it's no different than Rembrandt walking out and painting Amsterdam or the Netherlands or wherever he was at at the time and saying, this is what it is. Or, uh, anybody for that matter, you know, Velasquez or, uh, I'm probably not saying that right. I, I'm, my, yeah, my Spanish is horrible. Um, Vermeer or any of these other people who, who actually pr- produced artwork, they stole from somebody too. And they copied from somebody as well. Something inspired them to copy and to produce the work that they produce because it inspired them to do something, you know, we're, we're not going to make art new. None of us are going to be so unique that it's just, wow, that's, that's something I've never seen before. It's just not going to happen. I mean, that, that's a comment that, that I think I keep seeing, or maybe, maybe this is in the YouTube world or something, but every now and then you will see something and uh, there's a comment saying, here's something completely original and it's like eh, yeah it's not eh, not, not really <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah it, it, it you know i i think uh style i i guess for to throw style in this my artwork man this is hard because i, I really want to pinpoint this but if, if I were to take my own artwork and I would look at it and say, what style does it have? Who, who am I, who am I stealing from? And, and I don't really know yet. I really don't. I think I do have a, a, a slight style of my own, but there's some pen and ink that is technical. There's some oil paintings that are leaning towards the people of Rembrandt. Uh, my eyesight's bad. You know, <laughs> my skill set is not great. All these things, you know, and I throw them in there and I'm not as good as, you know, the, the photorealistic representational classical realist painters, but I put artwork out there that looks like the subject I'm painting and it might lend, lend itself a little bit to Vermeer or possibly Rembrandt. Um, I, I personally... I gotta say this. I Rembrandt has a look to his work where like a brush stroke has multiple colors in it. It has a brush feel to it. It has a life that I can't seem to reproduce on my own. 
Whereas, you know, if I were to sit and work at this and I, I put it together and I'm like, oh, that's that. Yeah, that's good. But, you know, going back to something we mentioned before, mm-hmm. is that something that if you teach me, if you train me to mm-hmm. see that difference, would I be able to see it? Or is it something that you feel because of what you know? I think it's, I feel because I know. Uh, this is a difficult subject because. So it's not necessarily a physical difference. No, no. I, I don't think you'll ever put canvas. I don't think you'll ever put canvas on paint the way Rembrandt did. I don't think you'll ever mm-hmm. be able to put canvas on paint on, on or paint on canvas like uh, Sargent. I, I, I think your, your hand your choice of color, all these things play a factor. In fact, even what you see has a, a, an effect on what it is you're creating, and that's what makes you unique. You're not really producing something. You might be able to steal from these people. You might be able to emulate, but you're still going to have your hand in it, and that's that at the core is what makes it unique. I don't know. I, I hope one day when I die, 400 years from now, somebody goes, oh, wow, look at this guy. <laughs> I don't know that they will. It won't matter. Are you, are you going to die 400 years from now? I No. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. It, sound, it sounded like that. <laughs> it sounded good, though, right? It, you know, it, it, I, I, wow. It's, it, you know, it. I don't know. I if I if I sit here and look at this and I go, what do I want people to think about me when I when I'm gone? You right? And and that's the legacy of art. That in and of itself, no matter how you look at this, as an artist, I look at my legacy. I want my name on something. I want to be famous for this is the painting I made. And mm-hmm. No, I can't eat on that. I understand that. I know I can't pay my rent on that. It's or my mortgage or whatever else. It's I I want future generations to know my name because I made this art. And for me in particular, that's the scary part because nobody knows who I am. And in as as much as I want to sit here and and argue this, I'm I'm a I'm a kid. I'm 46, but I'm a, I'm a kid in Southern Ohio with no art background, no training, no reason to really like my work, other than I painted this picture on this day that looks like this in this medium. You know, there's there's a a big part of me that says, "Am I going to be forgotten?" and any artist listening to this today, this podcast, I don't care what you're doing. There's a point of your ego that sticks out that says, I want people to not forget me. And I, I, I don't know how to put it any other way than I hope nobody forgets. Mm. Wow. Yeah. There, there's a lot there. There really is. It's deep. I know. I, I get this way. <laughs> I have a good time with this. Yeah. Was it the whiskey or was it just Michael Worth? It, it was. It's in me, but the whiskey finally helped. 
I'm I'm drinking. <laughs> By the way, for those who are listening, that's a disclaimer, <laughs> yeah. right? I'm drinking Johnny Walker Double Black. It's uh, U.S. dollars. It's about fifty dollars a bottle. There's eighteen shots per bottle. That goes back to golf. Um, oh, really? Yeah, it does. One, one per hole. <laughs> yeah, one per hole. One shot per hole. Uh, it, it's a it's a good whiskey. It's a blended Scotch, blended malt whiskey. Um, I wouldn't call it great. <laughs> it's good enough. It, it's a it's a good at fifty dollars a bottle. It's a it's a little pricey. I, I'm close to Kentucky, so buying uh, a bourbon, you know, of the same quality is probably about thirty dollars versus fifty. So, you know, <laughs> I, I like the, I like the flavor of scotch. So then I, I, I have to, um, be ashamed in my acknowledgement of, I was drinking, uh, Costco margarita. So <laughs> that's not okay. In the, not in the same league. As <laughs> I, I promise you, Hano, that if, if you, we are ever together, I will, I'll get you a proper scotch and we'll, and oh, it'll, okay, it'll yeah. be something like this. Yeah. <laughs> so Michael uh, uh before we we close where where can people find your work and um, where can people for, follow you in um, YouTube or something Sure I'm on Michael Worth M I C H A E L W A R T H dot com. that's usually the best place to find me you can you can basically branch off from there uh YouTube Twitter uh Facebook I have a Michael Worth Studios Twitter or a Facebook page sorry um you know, just, just a typical, everything is linked from your dot com. Yes. Page. Yeah, it is. You can find it all from there and Patreon and, yeah. you know, I'll put the links in the, in the description of the podcast, just in case for, cool. for the, for the two listeners of the podcast. <laughs> it's like my podcast is four. Well, I'll send my four to your two and maybe we can have six. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we have to recommend uh, each other. I, I have to say before we, before we go too far, I really, to me, podcasting is the future. Uh, we, we all look at YouTube. We all look at all these other things, but you know, just honestly, meeting meeting you alejandro on um discord you know <laughs> and talking i mean you're in you're in seattle i'm in ohio and uh it's it's late here it's 3 10 a.m here mm-hmm. and it's past, uh past midnight here yeah. yeah and and you know this is enjoyable this is a lot of fun this you know whether you get anything out of this you this uh podcast or not uh, I, I can say that, you know, I, I really enjoy sitting down with you and talking and just, just sharing our thoughts because this, this is the future of, in my opinion, this is the future of content because mm-hmm. it, it's so much beyond everything we're used to. Yeah. There's, there's, um, a touch of intimacy actually that yes. you don't get in writing, for yes. example, in blogs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and you don't get in video even though you're seeing the person but i've i've been listening for uh to podcasts for a while now and there's this you know you have the person in your ear and i think that for some reason that ha- triggers some special connection yeah 
you you even even though it might be a lie but you you feel <laughs> that you are closer to the person that you yeah, actually are absolutely emotionally i mean yes and and you i think i i feel closer to some podcasters and i've listened only to let's say three or four hours of of them talking and i feel closer to them than i feel to um youtubers oh absolutely and, yeah uh, and for of those i've watched hours and hours yeah i i've never physically met you uh we've never mm -hmm. sat in the same room together but i consider you a friend mm -hmm. oh, same here yeah, it's, it might be the train talking now, but it, but it's actually true. It is. Yeah, uh, it's actually we we we've had some previous conversation in this uh, online community, and there's uh, yeah. well, you you mentioned that before also. You know, there's there's a lot in common between uh, people with some creative uh, pursuits. Yeah, and it's it's really nice to find that sense of belonging, and other people have the, kind of the same interests. Yeah. All right. So thank you for coming, and this was I, I think it's probably the, my longest episode so far. <laughs> yeah, we're I'm showing about almost two hours, so it's yeah. Yeah. So again, for for the for the two people listening, thank you for uh, <laughs> coming all the way to the <laughs> yes, end. Yes, thank you, thank you. And we we might we might do another one with more topics, including copy, which I, which I really think it's an interesting one, and uh, it's for a long one. Yes. Okay. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. If you enjoyed this conversation, make sure to visit hanoma.info slash podcast for more episodes. That's J-A-N-O-M-A -A forward slash podcast. Until next time. <laughs>